Yo, this is Sam's Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, July 12th, 2017. I am Sam Rosenberg. How you doing today? How are you? How is your day treating you? Yeah, my day's treating me all right. It's really hot down here in Texas. My God, every single day it's either 99 or 100 degrees. I mean, holy shit, it's hot. Um... Listen, enough about the heat. Uh, you might notice, and I ain't, I'm not referring to the Miami heat. <laughs> um, so, the title of today's podcast is NBA Free Agency Hangover, because at this point, you know, everybody's gotten high off of all the signings that have happened. Uh, as you may recall, the last podcast I dropped was right at the beginning of uh, NBA Free Agency, where, you know, all of the big, huge, exciting moves happened, like Steph Curry's $200 million deal. Andre Guadalla re-upping with the Warriors, um, you know, Chris Paul being traded to the Houston Rockets. Listen, all of that happens at the at the beginning of it, you know, the excitement, the movements, all of the huge deals happen. Then, then you get all of the other residual moves that come out afterwards, and we're going to call that the NBA free agency hangover. So let's talk a little bit about some of those deals that went down, um, some of the things that we can take away. Uh, you know, and, and also just reflect a little bit on where the NBA is with the salary cap, with the movement of money. Um, cause you know, this was definitely, listen, I don't think things turned out exactly the way the NBA and all of the pundits thought things were going to go last summer when there was this massive jump in the salary cap. So, um, okay. A couple of things I want to mention are Gordon Hayward. So Gordon Hayward, Big, big fucking surprise. He ends up signing with the Boston Celtics, or at least he selects the Boston Celtics, which then, you know, the Celtics have been, you know, they've been in this free agency hunt for a while. I think they were really working and pushing very hard to try to get Paul George. Clearly, that did not work out. Um, It's it's more, with the Paul George thing, it's looking more and more like Kevin Pritchard, the GM of the Indiana Pacers. It seems like he was a little, I think there was a, some emotion in there. You know, from what I've heard behind closed doors is that there was a lot of very close, candid discussions between Kevin Pritchard and Paul George that it was like, hey, listen, we're going to build this team around you. We're going to make it amazing. You just got to stick with us. And I kind of got the impression that Paul George was like, all right, we're going to do this. So when he came out and said, you know what, I want out of here. I want to go to L.A. I don't want to be a pacer anymore. I think Kevin Pritchard was, I think he was a little scorned. I think he felt like a scorned lover there. And, uh... You know, I think there was a determination that he didn't want to have Paul George stay in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, I think that was some of the impetus behind the move and why he just all of a sudden traded him to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I say this because I think Boston was working really hard to get Paul George, and I think, uh, you know, I think they missed that boat. Anyway, Paul George goes to OKC. The Boston Celtics do, in fact, win the Gordon Hayward sweepstakes. So they do win. Gordon Hayward selects that he's going to go with the the Celtics. He's going to sign a max deal with them. There was a lot of drama the day of the signing because, you know, I think Gordon hadn't formally made the decision that he wanted to go to Boston, and but the news kind of leaked before he had a chance to tell all of the teams. Anyway, the PR was pretty ugly that day because I think the news got out. I think Gordon and his people wanted to control the news and when it was going to be released, and somehow it got out that he had already selected Boston. And, you know, pretty much before he had a chance to say or do anything, then, you know, the cat was already out of the bag. Um, so he, he selects Boston. Um, Boston is now in a situation where they need to clear cap space. They're going to gonna, they're gonna commit a lot of money to Gordon Hayward, so they had to move people, which was not a surprise. We were expecting this. So as soon as they commit to Gordon Hayward... 
Um, Kelly Olynyk signs a four-year deal with the Miami Heat. Uh, pretty, pretty rich deal. I think a little bit more than he was worth. Um, and soon after that, Danny Ainge trades Avery Bradley to the Detroit Pistons in exchange for Marcus Morris. Now, Avery Bradley goes to the Pistons. This was this was another sort of hard pill that the Celtics were going to have to swallow because as as great as the Celtics have been, and even though they are an Eastern Conference Finals competitor from this past season, their roster. If they wanted to make big, huge steps in acquiring major free agents like Gordon Hayward and Paul George, it was going to entail them clearing space off of their cap. And moving a guy like Olenek, Avery Bradley, there was also some belief that Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart were going to be on their way out as well. Um, That pretty much was a foregone conclusion that it needed to happen. So, it happened. They move Avery Bradley... Um, you know, Marcus Morris is making less money than Avery Bradley. So, you know, they're going to get cap, you know, in return. But Marcus Morris is, I think, is a a nice post player and a good defender that they're adding to their team. And they're, you know, they're reducing some payments. So they're going to have a little extra room to fit Gordon Hayward in. Avery Bradley going to Detroit, though, kind of makes Contavious Caldwell Pope. Um, There had been an on-again, off-again flirtation with him on Detroit. Um, You know, he was, I believe he was a restricted free agent. There was a belief that he was, you know, he was somebody who kind of lost in free agency. I think he he was really hoping to sign a big money deal this offseason, and really the market for shooting guards dried up pretty quickly, and he was on the outside looking in. Um, And I think Detroit still had aspirations of signing him and keeping him, but, you know, when, when they traded for Avery Bradley, I mean... Avery Bradley's a step up from Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Um, and, you know, he's probably on a little bit of a better deal right now considering the type of money that um, uh, KCP is trying to to command. So as soon as they get Avery Bradley, they renounce the rights to Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He's a free agent, and it just came out today. He's signing a one-year $18 million deal with the Lakers. Now, the Lakers, they are planning for the future, but they're also trying to keep cap flexibility. And this is something I heard Daryl Morey I listened to a podcast recently where Daryl Morey, uh, GM of the Rockets, came on Bill Simmons' podcast and discussed how you want to you want to be able to commit money to superstars, but also have cap flexibility to be able to be nimble in the future. So if you want to make a big deal for a Chris Paul or trade for some, and this is my next topic, trade for a Carmelo Anthony, you want to be able to have the flexibility to do that. Um, and I think the Lakers have put themselves in that position because, listen, they had to get the Mozgov and Deng signings were atrocious. They were complete products of last year's spike in the cap. And, uh, you know, they did not give anything to what, you know, I think Jim Buss and, and Mitch Kupchak were hoping for. Uh, you know, this belief that maybe the Lakers would become somewhat relevant didn't happen at all. They were atrocious last year. And the, the Mozgov and Deng signings are both products of the old regime. They're gone. Um, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka are in there now. And uh, they've already moved the Mozgov contract. They had to move D'Angelo Russell in the process. Um But this Laker team, you know, they're going to bring in a couple of veterans like KCP for big money on one-year deals, but they're not looking for anyone long-term. They've got Lonzo Ball. They've got a nice young core. They don't want to commit big money to these guys long-term. If anything, they're going to bring in a few veterans, you know, to try to – 
to try to to try to mentor these young players, you know, while they kind of grow because we don't know how good Brandon Ingram or Lonzo Ball or D'Angelo Russell for or Julius Randle for that matter are truly going to be in three to five years. And can these guys be pieces of a championship caliber team? We just don't know that yet. And until we do, the Lakers have got to play it safe. They've got to they can't be jumping into four-year deals like they did with Lou Aldang and Timothy Mozgov. Those are gonna be you know, those are those are definitely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know? Warning signs. Cautionary tales. Cautionary tales. That's the word I'm looking for. Those guys are cautionary tales of what happened with the salary cap. Um, okay, so I mentioned some of the, the movements that happened with Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, the Miami Heat had to essentially continue to sign some of their own people because they were trying to get Gordon Hayward as well. They lost out on the Gordon Hayward sweepstakes. Um they ended up going, they uh, they gave Dion Waiters a four-year deal. They gave James Johnson a four-year deal. I don't, you know, I, I don't terribly, di- I don't particularly disagree with those decisions by Pat Riley. I just don't like the length of the contracts. Four years for those guys is, is a fairly big commitment. And I think in a league where they're shifting closer and closer to two, three, to three-year deals, two-year deals, and one-year deals, it just felt ambitious for, you know, and I guess I... I guess I see because Pat Riley now that Chris Bosh, they've officially bought him out. You know, they had a special agreement with the league and the union to get him off the books. So now there's all this cap room that Miami has, and I guess Pat Riley needed to use it in some way to make his team competitive. I mean, Eric Spolstra, looking at what he did last year and being able to take a garbage team and turn it into a real team, you know, I have a lot of faith in his ability as a coach because I think right now Brad Stevens, Eric Spolstra, Greg Popovich, I mean, these guys are sort of, you know, Rick Carlisle, D'Antoni, that's kind of like your top five right now for best coaches in the league, and Spolster is going to be able to do a lot with that roster, I just don't like the length of those contracts, I don't like Riley committing to a James Johnson for four years, you know, I mean, it was, listen, I think Hassan Whiteside has been a a nice addition to that team, but was he an all-star? I don't really think he was, Um, so... I'd be curious to see exactly how Riley chooses to move forward. He's going to have a decision to make with Goran Dragic soon. Um, you know, he's going to have a decision to make. I mean, hell, he's going to have a decision to make with Hassan Whiteside soon. And now that Chris Bosh has been moved, and now that Wade is gone, there really needs to be an understanding of whose team is that. Who is the superstar? Is it going to be Dion Waiters? Is it going to be Goran Dragic? They got to make up their mind. So um, let's focus this hangover back onto the Houston Rockets. So now, one of the hottest topics that's come out right now is the fact that Daryl Morey and the Rockets are talking about trading for Carmelo Anthony. Okay, that's some big fucking news. So after all that shit with Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson just taking pot shots in the media at Carmelo Anthony, then I think the straw that broke the camel's back was when Phil Jackson went to James Dolan and said, we should think about buying out the remaining two years and $54 million to, to uh, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony's contract. You know, Phil, you were the asshole that gave him the no-trade clause, okay? This is all you're doing, all right? So, you know, don't be looking around trying to figure out ways to buy yourself out of this situation because I got news for you. That 25, you're, you're still going to be making $25 million over the next two years from the New York Knicks uh, organization just because, you know, it's easy to buy your way out of things in New York. Um, but the point is that even after all this shit, essentially, you know, Car- the Carmelo Anthony situation just ran Phil out of town amongst many other terrible decisions by Mr. Jackson. But to finally now see that the Rockets have positioned themselves in such a way 
that they are trying to get the banana boat onto this Houston Rockets team. And as everybody knows, the banana boat is the photo of Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Paul. They're all riding on a banana boat together. And I believe Carmelo Anthony was the one who took the photo. Um, To see about getting Melo off of the Knicks, a team that he has sort of, in a way, steadfastly stuck to because there's been opportunities to move Carmelo Anthony. There were beliefs last year that there was a real trade in place where Carmelo was going to get traded to the Clippers and Doc Rivers vetoed the deal because uh, Austin because he didn't want to trade his son Austin Rivers. That came out after Chris Paul was traded. Apparently that's some of the reasons Chris Paul you know, supposedly fell out of favor or, or, or supposedly why he and Doc Rivers didn't see eye to eye anymore. Um, But Carmelo has consistently wanted to stay in New York. There's a belief that his family wants to stay there. There's a belief that he wants to stay there to be closer to his kids. So there's part of a personal, I think, motivation for him to not want to, you know, move out of New York, um, which, you know, has kind and of course he's got this no trade clause. So he's got to agree to any trade, any type of movement. He's got to, he's got to waive that no trade clause and, you know, I don't know if he's jumping at doing that. So now when you p- talk about he could actually get traded to Houston, he could be willing to waive his no-trade clause, and he could go join Chris Paul and James Harden with Mike D'Antoni as the coach next year and have a legitimate shot at trying to actually compete against this Warriors team, that's big news. And to think that the Knicks, you know, it's just after all of this shit, after all of this hubbub with Phil Jackson – they're now actually still talking about moving on from Carmelo Anthony. I just, um, I mean, kudos to the Rockets for being so well-positioned, so smart at what they do, and so ready to pounce on a major trade when it when it shows up and just kind of up and, and presents itself. That now, you know, I mean, they're in a position to compete. And, to see, and when you got a team like the Golden State Warriors, who are Goliath, the king of the mountain, who have four of the best eight players in the league on their team. And listen, some of that's luck, okay? You know, Steph Curry's ankles were a piece of shit and they signed him to an to a to a to a team-friendly contract and then they draft Draymond Green in the second round. You can't really predict a lot of those things, okay? Nobody thought Steph Curry was going to turn into a two-time league MVP and become, you know, one of the most fantastic and exciting three-point shooters in the game right now, all right? That was not, they did not think that was going to happen when they offered him the four-year, $44 million deal that he's currently playing on. Yeah, that's why he gets $200 million right now, because he's been underpaid for the last couple of seasons. Um, But you think about Melo coming to the Rockets, the ramifications of that, thinking about him waiving his no-trade clause, you ask yourself, where does it put the Rockets? And also, where does it put the Knicks? Because the Knicks, I mean... Listen, it wasn't just Phil Jackson making terrible moves, okay? Because now I'm looking at the other signing, the signings that the Knicks have made since Phil Jackson has left. Well, number one, they drafted Frank Tillichina to play the triangle, and then Phil Jackson leaves. And I can guarantee you right now, the triangle is going to be fucking out of the goddamn Madison Square Garden like a fucking fart in the wind, okay? Nobody's going to want to play that triangle anymore. It's antiquated. It's old. It won championships 20 years ago. It's not working anymore. But my point is that the Knicks just drafted a point guard to play that style of of offense. And now, you know, now they've just got a good point guard, and you're sitting back saying maybe there was another guy who would have been a better pick for the Knicks. After Phil Jackson leaves, they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to a $70 million offer sheet. I mean, come on, guys. What the hell is going on there? Tim Hardaway Jr. was on the Knicks. 
Phil Jackson trades him for kind of a six-pack of beer because he didn't think things were working out. He ends up coming up and, you know, the, the, the Atlanta Hawks truly groom Tim Hardaway Jr. He goes down to the D-League. He comes back up. He ends up really carving out a legitimate starting role for himself in Atlanta. And I think the most money Atlanta was going to offer him was a $45 million contract. The Knicks jump out and offer him $25 million more. I mean, this sounds like uh, the Texas Rangers signing Alex Rodriguez for 200 and some odd million dollars when nobody else was offering anywhere near that amount of money. Okay, if someone is offering a guy 20 bucks and you walk up and offer him $100, why are you doing that? Why wouldn't you just offer him $25 or $30? What the fuck are you guys doing over there? The Knicks, just stupid decision. Listen, I'm not saying Tim Hardaway is a bad player. I'm just saying you paid way too much goddamn money for him. Then they signed Ron Baker. Ron Baker, listen, he played some quality minutes. He was a, you know, he was a forgotten undrafted player. Now they're signing him to a two-year deal worth $9 million with a player option. Like, is this really your best option out there, guys? Come on. You got to be saving cap room. And now I'm going to shift to the discussion of cap space, okay? So I've been fascinated by the salary cap, the cap room, you know, because I read everything in these articles on ESPN. But the truth is, I don't fully understand all of this stuff. You know, all these biennial exceptions and, and you know, veteran minimums and trade exceptions and things. You know, I hear about it and I trust what all these, you know, reporters and journalists and pundits tell me. But I finally said, you know what, what the hell am I doing? I went to the, the NBA's website and I, you know, I, I pulled up the collective bargaining agreement from 2011 that they signed after the lockout. Now, granted, there's a new one that was just signed a few months ago earlier this year, but I was reading, I was reading, I think, I don't know which one I'm reading, but I'm reading the CBA. I'm actually going through the salary cap. I'm going through the rules so I can understand more and more about how this works and how it's structured. Um, it's uh, it's dense. I can tell you that because it's contract. You know, it's like every time they say anything, they need to have four pages that elaborate every single conceivable version or opportunity that can ever happen as they describe, you know, how a biennial exception works. Um, but the point I want to make is about this jump in money and the jump in the salary cap. Now, for years, the constant of the NBA was... The salary cap, it didn't really move all that much. Maybe it moved, and by the way, the the collective bargaining agreement breaks down exactly how the salary cap is supposed to move. It tells you exactly what type of computations you need to make with the player salaries combined with basketball-related income, and it, it has this entire formula to calculate exactly how much the cap is going to rise each year. So for many years at a time, and you can look at the history of the salary cap, there was it was pretty consistent that the salary cap barely moved. You know, maybe it moved by like half a million dollars. You know, it was like 58, it was like 55, and then maybe it was like 55, and then it was 56, and then it was 57. It really didn't move all that much. Then the TV deal was signed. This massive TV deal where all of this money was going to come to the NBA from these TV stations like ESPN and TNT you know, to pay for, you know, viewing rights. Well, the influx of money was so gigantic that we saw this colossal jump in the salary cap last year. Let me put it to you this here. You know what? Hang on a second. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to pull up the statistics so we can all look at this together. Okay, here we go. I just pulled up the history of the NBA salary cap. I'm literally just going to reel this off. The first salary cap year is the 84-85 season. And I'm and I'm going to walk through the salary cap years. I'm going to pause at certain times, Okay. This is going year by year, starting in 85. Salary cap, 3.6 million, 
4.2 million, 4.9 million, 6.1 million, 7.2 million, 9.8 million, 11.8 million, 12.5 million, 14 million, 15.1 million, 15.9, 23 million. That's 95 to 96. You see a major jump from 50, from 16 million to 23 million. That's nearly a $7 million jump. That's big. Um, then you have from 23 million, you go 24.3 million, 26.9 million, 30 million, 34 million, 35 million, 42 million. And now for the first time, between 02 and 03, it goes down. It goes down to 40 million. Then it jumps back up to 43 million. Then it stays solid for a year and stays at 43 million. Then it jumps to 49.5, 53.1, and now and then in 08, 55.6, 58.6, and then it goes down to 57. Then it goes up to 50. This is where okay, between 08 and 2014, it pretty much stays between 55 and 58 million. So that's a good solid six, seven years where you're really not seeing it fluctuate too much uh, outside of the 50 million. So, okay, starting in 08, 55.6 million, 58.6 million, 57.7, 58 million, 58 million, 58 million, 58.6, then 63 million, 70 million, 94 million. Okay, listen to that again. Between between 2016 and 2017, the salary cap, that's his last summer, went from 70 million to 94 million. That's a $24 million jump. That is a jump which puts all of the other jumps to shame. A monster, colossal jump in money. And that is why you saw Kevin Durant move to the Warriors. That is why you saw. NBA teams giving out money like it was fucking candy. I mean, they were giving out contracts like the money was on fire. Signing these atrocious deals, these players that you'd never heard of, to contracts for $15, $18 million a year. It was like it was like the money was going out of style. Part of that was under the expectation that the salary cap was going to jump again this year. There was an expectation that the salary cap was going to jump again by another $15 million. Guess what? It didn't. They were fucking wrong, and the salary cap went up by only $5 million. $5 million is still a decent jump, but it's nowhere near the amount of money that everybody thought they were going to get last year. So when they signed all these monster deals, there was an expectation of, ah, oh, well, whatever, it doesn't fucking matter. The salary cap's going to go up. We'll have plenty of room for all these guys. Now... Everyone is locked back into these shitty contracts. Let me t- let me let me back it up again. When the salary cap was staying fairly constant and not moving that much, the predicament that most teams got into is they became hamstrung by the cap. They would have some amazing player signed to a six-year deal, getting making way too much money, and then that player would have an injury, or they'd go over the hill, and then all of a sudden the team is paying them a shitload of money, but they're not performing at that level anymore. We could we could go through example after example after example of 
extremely, you know, highly paid superstars who were over the hill, past their prime, and making way too much money, and essentially handicapping their team because the team was just locked into paying them too much money. As a Sixers fan, I ain't got no beef with Elton Brand, but Elton Brand is a perfect example of it. He came to the Sixers, he signed a giant deal with them, and then he proceeded to get injured, I think, his first season with the team, maybe his second season with the team, and pretty much the bulk of his time with the team he did not live up to the amount of money that they were paying him. But then when he's your highest paid guy on the team and he's taking up 50 to 60% of your cap, you're really handicapping the rest of the team when you're not getting that value from that contract. So that was the norm with a lot of teams. A lot of teams were either in a good position and they were competing or they had a shitty player that they were paying too much money for and they were desperately trying to wait the contract out, buy out the person, or trade it to another team that was willing to take on the shittiness of that contract. So, last summer was the opposite. Everybody had cap room, there was plenty of money to go around, nobody had any real restrictions, and so they they spent like, you know, like it was going out of style. Now, the cap hasn't jumped, and also I'm gonna throw this out there. One of the major reasons the cap didn't jump is because there wasn't any competition in the playoffs. Remember how everybody was complaining about how the Cavs were sweeping everybody, the Warriors were sweeping everybody, it was a foregone conclusion, it was going to be the Warriors and the Cavs, part three? Okay, every time there's a sweep, that means there's fewer playoff games in a series. When the Warriors sweep someone, there's four games. If it goes to six games, that's two more games of television, ratings, commercials, revenue, If it's a four-game sweep, that's lost revenue. That's money. Those are games that aren't being played that you're not making money off of. So because there were so many sweeps, because there was less competition, there were less games to broadcast, there was less less commercials to sell, and big fucking surprise, the NBA made less money. And because they made less money, the cap jumped up by less than what they were expecting. So now you've got all these teams, and they don't have the wiggle room they had last year. Now you've got these teams, you know, rewind 10, 20 years, they're stuck in cap situations where they are committed. Now you've got teams trying to get out from underneath these contracts. Case in point, Timothy Mozgov and Luel Deng. The Lakers are desperately trying to figure out how the fuck to get out of those contracts right now. Um, I, the Andrew Nicholson deal that uh, I think it was the Wizards signed him last year. How about Bismack Biombo? Bismack Biombo is making something like the Orlando Magic gave him some colossal... million a year deal, and yet Patrick Patterson, who was his backcourt mate two years ago in Toronto, you know, just got something like $3 million a year by the Oklahoma City Thunder, and and he's lucky. He should be happy to have that. If anything, now you're just sitting back saying, damn, all the guys who were free agents last year were fucking lucky as all hell. It was the... You struck it rich, man. You hit the lotto ticket when it came to which offseason, because that one offseason last year... Man, it was one for the ages. I don't know if we're ever going to see another offseason like that again in the NBA. I mean, hey, I could be wrong. Maybe they'll sign another gigantic billion-dollar deal with the TV companies, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, I had to rant and rave about that salary cap situation because now all these teams are, are stuck again. They're sitting here, you know, trying to figure out how to trade away these crappy contracts, how to get out, how to get more draft picks, how to plan for the future. You know, things they should have been doing all along. And, I mean, listen, you can't completely blame them because in this NBA market, when you've got money, you've got to spend it. 
you know, and the and listen, you look at the collective bargaining agreement, there's a salary floor, all right? There's a minimum amount of money these teams have to spend. I mean, just ask Sam Hinkie. He was avoiding the salary floor for the Sixers for years, okay? So you know that they have to at least spend a certain amount of money. It's just, you don't have to give out stupid contracts to bad players just, just because you have it, okay? Just... I mean, give money, give extensions to the current players. Go sign guys to shorter deals. Give them shorter deals. And maybe that would have taken you out of the running, but at least, I mean, at least it doesn't just hamstring you with these bad contracts, which a handful of teams are now in that situation. And guys on older contracts become more appealing. They become a better commodity because you'd rather have a more flexible, you know, underpaid guy on your team for a longer amount of time. Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder has been on a team-friendly deal. He's making something like 4 or $5 million, and he's got a couple more years left on his contract. Why is that the case? Because when he signed that contract with the Dallas Mavericks, he was not as good, he was undervalued, and then he got traded to the Celtics at that same value. It was only when he arrived in Boston that he started to play better, started to be a starter, and started to outplay his contract. Now, he's a tasty commodity. So, just, sometimes, some of these executives really know what the hell they're doing. Some of them really just don't seem to know what the hell they're doing. Okay. Um, all right, listen, that, that, that's, that's about all I got. That's all I, I wanted to talk a little bit about free agency. Um, I'll come back. I'll talk, I, I'm still trying to get Shaka back on and talk about the offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles. And maybe I'll bring up the next uh, NBA podcast, talk about a little bit of Markel Fultz and, you know, oh my God, Markel Fultz rolling his ankle. Can these fucking Sixers stay healthy for Christ's sakes? Just one of them for once, for once, be healthy on the opening day of the season. Just, just once, just once. I just want the opening day roster to be Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, Joel Embiid, Dario Saric, and uh, J.J. Redick. I mean, just come on. Just please give it to me. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about NBA free agency, and I did want to talk about the salary cap. This is a fascinating thing to me. I, th- these are things that interest me. I'm somebody, I'm a bit of a nerd. I like to go a little deep and, and kind of read about the salary cap. Um, uh, anyway, that's all I got for now. I'll be back soon. Everyone, thank you very much for listening to Sam Sports Podcast. You can subscribe to me on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at, Sa- at SmithFaceJones. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. And as always, you can always email me at SamSportsStation at gmail.com. S-M-A-S-S-P-O-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. Thank you again to Don Kinian for the Sam Sports Podcast theme music. I actually got a new a new, uh, new little riff from Don I'm going to try out today. Put that out there. Tell me what you think about it. Uh, tweet at me. Email me. Uh, tell me what you think. Um, also, I'm going to plug uh, Don Kinian's band, uh, Wolf Riot, which you can check out at their website, www.wolf-riot.com. W-O-L-F hyphen R-I-O-T-T.com, wolf-riot.com, wolfriot.com. Check it out. And, um, yeah, I think that's about all I got for the time being. I'll be back real soon to talk some more sports. Everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, Enjoy NBA free agency. Enjoy the summer as much as you can, and uh, enjoy some baseball. Got some good baseball going on. Um, I'll be back soon. Take it easy. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.